you love the word, it's hard to approach this text without a little bit of emotion because it's Peter's farewell address. A short time before his death, he pins a farewell to his church. Now, a farewell address is, is a theological concept in the scripture. There are several of them in the body of scripture. A theological farewell address has five components. Number one, prediction of death. Number two, prophecy of future crisis. Number three, exhortation to virtue. Number four, a commission. And then number five, the legacy of the author. Using this criteria, there are a total of six farewell addresses in the scripture. Jacob gave one, Moses gave one, Joshua gave one, Jesus gave one, Paul gave one, and finally Peter gave one. He starts in verse 1 and 2 of 2 Peter by saying, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Two things from those verses he raises. Number one, faith is something you have received. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you believe Jesus is who the scripture says he is, then faith is something you have received. That's an important part of your belief system. You have to know that faith grants you righteousness or right standing with God. It's not your works. It's not your behavior. It's not how much money you give. Your faith grants you right standing or righteousness with God. How do I get righteousness, right standing with God? Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, declared righteous by faith. So he said, you have a faith. And then he says, and it's precious. Your faith is precious, ladies and gentlemen, because your faith is the seal and the guarantee of your salvation. You always must tend to your faith, feed your faith. You always have to contend for your faith because your faith is precious. Look at somebody say, your faith is precious. Then in verse 2, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, telling us and instructing us that there are spiritual commodities there are spiritual goods and services that you're receiving right now while you're sitting here in church. What are those commodities? Grace and peace. Because the more you grow in your knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the more you grow in your grace and in your peace. I guarantee you, you're going home with more grace and peace than you showed up with this morning. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I didn't do anything to get him to call me. He called me because he's good. I didn't do anything to get him to save me and forgive me. He saved me and forgave me because he is good. Through these, verse 4, he has given us very great and precious promises 
so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What are the very great and precious promises he's given us? Well, there's three. Number one, salvation by grace through faith. That's the promise. It's the great and precious promise. It's the first one. Salvation by grace through faith. Everybody say it with me. Salvation by grace through faith. You got to have that. Salvation by grace through faith. Second promise of the great and precious promises. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise to every person that believes in Jesus, that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit Jesus had, would come and live inside you. You remember this same Peter in Acts chapter 2 when the church was born, and he gave the inaugural message on the day of Pentecost. They came to him, all who heard it, and they said, what do we need to do to be saved? He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This promise is for you, your children, many who are far off and as many as the Lord our God will call. That's the second great and precious promise that when you believe on Jesus Christ and you are saved, God will send his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And then finally, number three of the great and precious promises, the blessing of obeying scripture's laws. There's a blessing in obeying scripture's laws. Now, let me clarify. We are not saved by obeying scripture's laws. If you think you're saved by obeying scripture's laws, you will live out your faith from the paradigm of works righteousness. Works righteousness says the better I obey and the better I do, the better God will love me. So when I'm doing real good, I know I have God's favor. But if I slip up and I mess up, then God hates me. That's works righteousness. That is not what Christians believe. Christians are not saved because of their obedience. Christians are saved because of Jesus' obedience. Because Jesus said yes to the cross. Because Jesus Jesus said yes to the purpose of God. So you are not saved by your obedience, but you are blessed by your obedience. Let me make that clear. Obedience won't save you. Only Jesus can save you. But obedience will bless you. Let me give you an example of that. There are people in the world, all over the world, all over the, the, the church world, in the faith, they have received Jesus. They love Jesus. They worship Jesus. Jesus is their God, and they are saved, and they're going to heaven, but they don't tithe. Now, they are not going to lose their salvation and go to hell because they don't tithe, but their finances will not be empowered and blessed by God because they don't tithe. It's not a salvation issue. It's a blessing issue. When you obey the laws of the scripture, it doesn't make you any closer to God. You can't get closer to God than in Christ Jesus. But when you obey the laws of scripture, God's blessing comes on those who obey his laws. So with this third clause, Peter extends every conditional blessing in the word of God, every conditional promise to the word of God to those who have received the great and precious promises. Verse 5. 
for this very reason. For what reason? Since we have received all these great and precious promises, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now he brings up the concept of building. That faith is the slab, it's the foundation. But once you have faith that saves you, that secures your soul, that makes you a child of God, once you have that, there's some things you should build on that foundation. Now think about this. He said, add to your faith goodness. Stop. If he's talking to people who are saved, and they're saved by faith, and they're in the family of God, but he tells them to add to their faith goodness, that means there were some people that were saved that weren't good. There's some people in here this morning that are saved, but you're not good. You know? Not good to people. Not good to people at work. Not good to people in Christmas traffic. Not good to people in checkout lines, you know? Not good to your family. Not good to your kids when they're stressing you out. Just not good. And he said, don't stop at faith. Add to your faith goodness. Look at your neighbor, smile real cheesy and say, be good. Somebody needs this to deal with those family members that's coming in this week. Somebody better pat yourself on the chest and say, be good. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. Get some knowledge. Get some wisdom. You need to know about more than Jesus to survive this life. You need to read books other than the Bible to be successful and survive in this life. There's a whole lot of people that love Jesus and are going straight to heaven, but they'll be broke. They won't have any strategies. They will live their life in difficulty and misery because they never added any knowledge onto their faith. The most important knowledge is the knowledge of Jesus. But after you've got that, you better get yourself some books. You better get yourself some learning. You better get yourself some classes and add to your faith knowledge. Amen. And to knowledge, self-control. I'm going to skip over that one. There's a whole lot of pinky toes I don't want to stomp on. I'm just going to skip right over it. Add some self-control to your life. There, there's a lot of pressure in life that's just normal. That's just germane to life. It's just, it's going to happen. But a lot of the pressure you're going through in your life could be because you have not employed self-control. My, my, my favorite team in the NFL is the Cowboys, and they're having a tough year. And one of the reasons is they're one of the most penalized teams in the league. Now, a penalty is not something that has to hurt you. It's something you do to yourself. Peter's saying, you're going to have enough time facing the opposition on the other side. Learn to not hurt yourself. Employ some self-control. You may not be able to do anything about what they do to you, but you can do everything about what you do 
to you. And part of maturing and growing as a believer is learning not to mess yourself up with silly sins and immaturity and foolish behavior and, and just overall lack of self-control. Listen to the Father. Listen to the bishop as he's about to die. Peter was the first bishop of the New Testament church, and he's about to die, and he's looking at his church, and he's telling them, you got faith, but add to it some goodness, some knowledge, and some self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. Folks, there's some stuff you're just going to have to go through. God will not stop every storm right when you want him to. Sometimes storms serve a purpose that you're not aware of yet. There are some things in this life you're just going to have to survive. And he said you're going to have to add some perseverance to your faith so you won't be the kind of person that can't go through anything without falling apart. That can't go through anything without falling to pieces and quitting on people and quitting on jobs and quitting on marriages and quitting on your kids and, and quitting on your church. You're going to have to learn to go through some hard things and you need perseverance. Incidentally, perseverance does not just mean to survive. Perseverance means to continue to pursue through severe circumstances. In other words, you got to have a purpose that you're chasing that's still worth chasing when times get tough. You got to have dreams and visions and goals down on the inside that it's worth surviving through severe circumstances to keep pursuing that thing. You got to have perseverance. And then he says, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, Love. Let me talk about mutual affection. He means don't be so cold to people. A lot of us have learned coldness as a defense mechanism. And people that don't know you well think you're just rude and you're mean emotionally. That's not true. You're one of the most loving people in the world. But when you open up and you love people, you love hard. And when you do that, you're easy to get hurt. So the more you get hurt, the more you learn to close up, to clam up, to be cold, to be indifferent, to seem mean. But he's saying, trust God enough to heal your heart and restore your soul. Trust God enough to hold you in the midnight hour when you're weeping. Trust God enough to open your heart up and have mutual affection. Be warm with people. Be warm with people you don't know. Be warm with strangers. Do you know sometimes the best witness of the gospel isn't you in a pulpit with a Bible and a microphone. Sometimes the best witness of the gospel is a warm smile and a warm greeting. He's telling you get your warmth back get your nice back get your smile back get your hi how you doing get your starting conversations up back get your conversations with strangers and people you don't know back stop being so suspicious of everybody we'll say that over here I said stop being so suspicious of everybody everybody's not out to get you everybody's not out to hurt you everybody's not out to steal from you everybody's not out to scam you stop being so cold 
Mutual affection. That also means stop being so cold to your spouse. Do you know Peter taught that it's ungodly for spouses to refuse each other when they're approached? We're all adults in here. You know what I'm talking about. He said it's ungodly. He said to husbands that if you're quarreling with your wife, don't go to God and pray before you fix it with your woman. Because if you're quarreling with your wife, God won't hear your prayer. Bishop Peter taught us that. It's ungodly to use uh, spats and, and difficult circumstances and anger to manipulate each other in the house and be cold to each other because of some, some foolishness. You didn't take the trash out, so I'm not going to talk to you for three hours. Sit there and look at me. It'll get better in just a minute. Mutual affection. Love. Learning to be warm and to give of yourself. You know, selflessness is elementary Christianity. And if you can't learn how to be selfless with the people that live in your own home, then you're missing it. He said, add mutual affection and love. Verse 8, for if you possess, someone say big if, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that means they get bigger over time, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means there's a lot of people that have the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ that are ineffective and unproductive in their faith. Then he says, verse 9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That's the worst thing you can forget. In fact, that's why a lot of Christians don't have the overflowing joy that they should. It's why they're not walking in this goodness, in this knowledge, in this self-control, in this mutual affection and love, because they have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their sins. The greatest source of your joy this morning should be that no matter what you have done in your life, no matter how dark it was or how sick it was or how broken it was, if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, then before God, you have a clean slate and your sins have been forgiven. It should always be the wellspring of your joy. It should always give you peace, even in the middle of the storms of life, that no matter what I'm going through, I know when God looks looks at me. He sees me as righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. My sins have been forgiven. Raise up both your hands and announce to yourself, my sins have been forgiven. Clap your hands and give God thanks for that truth. My sins have been Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
If you do what I'm telling you, Peter said, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And my heart breaks as I read the dying apostles last words, because he's preaching a message to them that they've already heard. They're looking at him like you're looking at me when you hear me preach a message you've heard me preach three times. Oh, Lord, is he doing that again? I know all the points. I know where he's going to go. I know the transitions. I mean, pastor, we've heard this. We, we know where you're going with this. We, we, we've, we've memorized this message. But he said, I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to preach it again. I'm going to remind you again. Because the greatest truth for you is not in a new revelation. It's in a revelation that you already know. And this is a powerful point. Because many of you are looking for new answers to the problems that you're facing. When the real answer is not in something new. The real answer is in you applying something that you already know. That's a word for somebody. The strategy is in what you already know. God has not left you in the dark. The light for that situation has come. And the strength of it is and the strategy is you applying what you already know. Push your neighbor and say, use what you know. Verse 16. We did not cleverly devise stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses. Oh, I love it. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter's telling them, I was there and I know for sure that Jesus is the son of God. It's not just a revelation I had. God the Father confirmed the revelation I had with an audible voice and a light coming down out of the mountain. On the mountain of transfiguration, I was standing there with James and John, and I heard the voice of the Creator bellow down from heaven in thunder and lightning, and he said, this is the one, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 18 we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. In other words, Peter is saying, I've had an experience with God. Our faith is not just a philosophy or a religious ideology. Our faith can be experienced. And it's hard to preach that to people in 2019, 2020, 
because more and more Christians are coming to the faith and they are believing in Jesus, but they have not yet had a supernatural experience with God. They've not been caught up in the Holy Ghost or they've not been filled with a quickening or they've not had visions and supernatural happenings. And so it's getting, we're getting further and further and further away from that. It's getting talked about a lot less than it used to be. But in the old church, they wouldn't let you serve on the usher board, much less hold a microphone to preach or sing or do anything else. You know what they'd ask you? They'd ask you, do you have a witness? Have you had an experience? Do you know God for yourself? Do you know anything about God that you didn't learn from somebody else? Do you have any personal experience with God? And what Peter is trying to teach them is, don't. after I'm gone, after I'm dead, don't listen to anybody. Don't let anybody counsel you spiritually. Don't build your spiritual life upon the counsel of anybody that has not had an experience with God. Because I've walked with him. I heard the father confirm him. I was there. I know who he is. And I want to tell you, if you're new to the faith, keep on following till you have an experience. Because if you have an experience with God, nobody will ever be able to talk you out of what you have experienced. Keep following God until you get sick and he heals you. And once he heals you, nobody will ever be able to talk you out of the God that you serve. Keep following God till he speaks to you. And when you hear his voice, nobody will ever be able to talk you out of what you experience. The famous author said it, that a man with an argument is always at the mercy of a man with an experience. I don't think God's real. I know he's real. I don't know he's real because of the Bible. I know he's real because when all hell was breaking loose against my family, when all hell came against my child, when the best specialist in the city said he would surely die, God came in and did what only God can do. I've had an experience. Is there anybody in the building that's ever had an experience? He said, number one, I've had an experience. My, my, my apostolic authority, my right to instruct you, Peter was saying, is that I know him. I personally know him. I've had an experience with him. But then number two, he said in verse 19, we also have the prophetic message, speaking of the scripture, as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. He establishes that there are two immutable pillars holding the foundation of his ministry. Number one, his experience with God. Number two, the prophecy of Scripture. And he says, experience with God and the prophecy of the Scripture become a light to you when you're in a dark place. If it was true for Peter and it was true for his church, then it's true for you and it's true for this church experience with God and the prophecy of the scripture will become a light to you when you are in a dark place. 
Everybody that's in a dark place, listen to me. Your experience with God and the prophecy of Scripture will become a light to you in a dark place. What is a light in a dark place? It's guidance. It's a point of reference that stabilizes your soul and anchors your heart. So many people came to church today in a dark place. Truth about it is your marriage is in a dark place. Your finances in a dark place. This week, are you kidding me? A dark place. Things going on with your children's got you in a, in a dark place. Something you're dealing with in your health has got you in a, in a dark place. And the challenge of dark places isn't the darkness itself. It's the lack of direction, the lostness, the not knowing how or where to move. But to the people in a dark place who feel lost and don't know how to move, and you're worried that God has abandoned you. Maybe it's the mistakes I've made. Maybe it's the flaws that I have. Maybe it's the sins that I have committed that I'm in such a dark place. God's not speaking to me. He's not with me anymore. I don't feel close to God anymore. If any of those thoughts have rumbled through your mind, God sent me here to tell you that he is still guiding you. Listen to me. God is guiding you. Listen to me over here. God is guiding you. But I don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't hear it. No. You're confusing leading with guiding. Little difference. Sometimes God leads us, but most of the time, he guides us. The difference in leading and guiding is, if I come up to you after church and I said, listen, I want to take you to lunch. Find my car in the parking lot and just follow me out of the parking lot, and uh, we'll get to the restaurant. Just don't worry about where it is. Just follow me. Now, you don't have to know the address. You don't have to know the exits. You don't have to know what street it's on. You don't have to know nothing. You just blindly follow me, and you'll get to the destination. That's leading. Guiding something totally different. Guiding is what my GPS does to me that frustrates the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. <clears throat> I put in the address. I don't know where I'm going. And the thing doesn't tell me the whole picture. It doesn't tell me the whole, you know, list of directions to get there. It waits till I get a quarter of a mile from the exit. In one quarter of a mile, make a right turn. And then it don't tell me what to do after that till I make the turn and get on the road. So it frustrates me because what I want it to do is talk to me the whole time. You're doing right. You're going in the right direction. You're doing good. Everything's going all right. 
I hate driving lost. I hate driving blind. I hate going somewhere that I don't know where I'm going. But if I'm going to be guided by that GPS, I just got to keep going till I get the next instruction. That's what God's guidance is about. He doesn't run off at the mouth and talk to you every five seconds. You're doing okay. Keep on moving forward. Sometimes he will leave you in a dry season where you hadn't heard any instructions and you hadn't seen any signs and you hadn't felt any movement. But sometimes when you're in that kind of place, he'll send a preacher into your church to stand up and scream at you and tell you, remind them that I am still guiding them. Consider the process, the process, that's what guidance is, it's a, it's a process, you haven't been abandoned, you haven't been orphaned, you haven't been left off to the side, you are in the middle of a guiding process with God, and consider the guiding process that the wise men went through as they searched for the baby Jesus. An angel didn't show up and give them the address and tell them how to get there quickly. They didn't receive a prophetic word from a man of God. All they had was a flickering light, a star up in the sky. And they followed God's guidance through a little light and made their way little by little to their destination. The process took two years, but they were guided every step of the way. God will not leave you wandering and searching and seeking. He gives guidance. And along your journey, God will give you little clues that he's still with you and that he is involved in the direction of your life. And when you begin to realize this, you understand that even where you are now, you didn't get here by yourself. Oh, yeah. I don't know who I'm talking to. Even where you are right now, you didn't get here by yourself. You didn't get here by your own strength. You didn't get here by your own wisdom. You didn't get here by your own mind. God has been guiding you every step of your life, ordering your steps, working things out for you, making crooked places straight. And it's what David said in Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now, we read that. Many of us can quote that, but we don't always think about it. God's been ordering your steps all of your life. What makes you think he would stop now? God's been ordering your steps all of your life. God was protecting you before you got saved because he knew in the future you would. You didn't hear what I said. God didn't let you OD that night before you got saved because he knew that if he left you alive one day you would. God didn't let that car wreck kill you before you got saved because he knew that if he left you alive one day you would. The reality is a lot of us in this room know we shouldn't be here right now. The only reason we are here is God has ordered our steps all of our life. God orders your steps. And the thing about ordering your steps, he hadn't just ordered all of your good ones. He ordered the bad ones too. 
He graciously allowed all of the good that has happened to you to happen. But he mercifully allowed all of the bad that has happened to you to happen. Pastor, why would you say God mercifully allowed the bad to happen? Because our God is the kind of God that takes the bad things that have happened to you and he works on them and you until you look back at your life and you point at the bad and you say it was good. Oh, yeah. Have you lived long enough yet to look over your life and praise God over a situation that you thought was bad at the top? Oh, I wish I had a witness. I said, have you walked with him long enough to look back at your path and say, at the moment I thought that was going to kill me, but the reality is I'm thankful for it now. And if I could go back, I wouldn't change a thing because it helped me more than I realized. This is why David said at the end of his life, when he started looking at his path, he said, it was good for me to be afflicted. David didn't say it was good for me to be blessed. David said it was good for me to be burdened because through the affliction, I learned the ways of the Lord. There are some things in your life you'll never learn about God until he allows you to go through affliction. There's some things you'll never learn about yourself until he allows you to go through affliction. But God has a way of taking what the enemy meant for evil, what the enemy meant to destroy you, what the enemy meant to hurt you, and turning it around and making it work for your good. To the point that you look back and, and, and you begin to praise him for things he allowed you to go through. That's a mature praise. When you give God praise for the pain that he led you in and then ultimately out of. Some people are praising God for a new car this morning. Some people are praising God because presents are under the tree. But there's a whole lot of folks in here praising God for the stuff he allowed to hit them and yet not destroy them. For the stuff he allowed them to learn in the process of his guidance for the stuff he allowed them to go through along the way and then proved who he was in the middle of it. Are there any praisers in the house? Ordering my steps means no matter what's happened up to this point in my life, I know God was in control of it. No matter what's going on up to this point in my life, I know God's been sovereign over it. Everybody that left me didn't make that decision on their own. God was in control of it. Everybody that stayed didn't stay on their own. God was in control of it. Everybody that hired me, God was in control of it. Everybody that fired me, God was in control of it. The city that I live in, God was in control of it. The city that I moved from, God was in control of it. The circle of friends I have, God was in control of it. All the friends that left me, God was in control of Shout, order my steps. No, I'm preaching, you gotta shout like a church. 
Clear your throat. Throw your head back. Throw your hands up high and shout, Order my step. Don't allow the pain that you're going through to cause you to question God's guidance. He's still guiding you. I said he's still guiding you. May have been a long time since you heard his voice, but he's still guiding you. In fact, he wouldn't have started guiding you unless he intended to finish guiding you. And Job said it like this. Job said, the Lord knows. Oh, I wish I had a church to talk back to me. I said, the Lord knows. He said, the Lord knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Job said this with his children in a graveyard and his house burning down on fire and his business that had just fallen apart and all of his investments and his livestock dead. Job said, the Lord knows the way that I take. Boils broken out all over his body. The Lord knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. That's a person that knows God's guiding them. Job didn't take the trouble as a sign that God had left him. Job looked at the trouble and said, well, if he brought me into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to preach to somebody's spirit. I said, if he brought me into it. Oh, God, help me, Jesus. I said, if God brought me into it, I know him enough. I've experienced him enough. I have enough prophecy from Scripture that I believe the same God that brought me in is the same God that will bring me out. God, the same God that will bring me out. Shout, God's guiding me. Shout it again, God's guiding me. Now encourage your neighbor, shake him by the hand, look him in the eye and say, God is guiding you. Everybody watching this screaming man online, listen to me. God is guiding you. You ought to give him praise. He hasn't left you. You ought to give him praise. He hasn't forgot you. You ought to give him praise. He won't forsake you. God is still guiding. Come on, people of faith. Come on, people of faith. Get your recharge. Get your blessing. God is still guiding you. It's time to throw the negative voices off. It's time to throw the depression down. It's time to turn out the voice of the haters. It's time to turn down the voice of the accuser. And no matter what you're looking at, look forward to your future with faith and say, no matter what comes my way, I know God is still guiding me. Guiding me, guiding me all of my life.
through every stage, through every difficulty, through every tear I've cried, all of my life, God, God, God has been guiding me. GPS. Wise men had no direction. Wise men had no voice. All they had was a flickering star. Not even a big light like the sun that gives details. Just a flickering star up in the night sky. Look at God painting a flickering star on the canvas of a dark night. I want to thank God because no matter how dark the seasons in my life has been, when I look back over, I have to admit, he always left a little light on for me. Think about your life. Had he always left a little light on for you? I mean, when you buried loved ones, it hurt, but, but had he always left a little light on for you? When friends betrayed you and turned their back, it hurt. But, but hadn't he always left a little light on for you? When you had losses or repossessions or failures or you've been fired, it hurts. But when you look back at it, hadn't he always left a, a little light on for you? He didn't always saturate you with light. But he gave you enough. Just enough light to take another step. And the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord and he delights in the way and though you fall you're not going to be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds you with his hand if you receive that get on your feet open up your mouth and give the God that guides us one more praise in the house I said give the God that guides us one more praise hey Thank you for guiding me. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for the light you did give. Thank you for the strength you did give. Thank you. I know you got to go. I know you got family in town and stuff to get done at the house. But I need to give 20 grateful people just about 30 seconds because when you look back over your life and you see how God's been guiding you something down in your spirit because you're a praiser has an instinct to give God a shout has an instinct to give God a praise has an instinct that says I can't leave a service like this without giving God the praise he's worthy of so every praiser you got 30 seconds to get you some room and make you some space and give the God who guides some praise
you can't have me because God's guiding me. Come on, say it. Pat yourself and say, devil, you can't have me because God's guiding me. Preach for me a little bit. Say, you can't have my children. No, no, no. You can't have my children because God's guiding me. You can't have my blessing because God's guiding. Oh, you can't have my future because God's guiding me. Believe it or not, you need to hear yourself say some of this stuff. You can't have my future because God's guiding me. gonna catch it in a minute God's guiding me I won't worry about tomorrow God's guiding me I'm not worried about the turmoil on my job God's guiding me I ain't gonna worry about the sickness in my body God's guiding me I ain't gonna worry about the trouble with my children God's guiding me you really worry about if you really believed what would you fall to pieces over would you allow that anxiety to take your mind to take you out of your character when you get up under pressure you turn into a different person talking to your family like that treating people like that and it's not you it's the pressure what would you allow to pressure you that way if you really if you made a decision when you leave this place no matter what comes my way you know negative self-talk is so toxic and some of the way you've been talking to yourself the stream of consciousness the thoughts that become words that are in your mind have been so negative and I tell you what I believe I'm not a perfect person Oh, God, if you knew how imperfect I was, you wouldn't want to sit and listen to me preach. But I believe that God 
called me and uses me. I'm not, I'm not a great preacher. I'm not the most talented. I, I have very little skill, but the gifts that I do have and the skills that I do have, I believe were given to me to, by God because he knew I would say yes every time he told me to come in here and tell you something. And God woke me up last week and told me to come in here today to tell somebody, somebody that thinks you've been abandoned, somebody that thinks you've been forsaken, somebody that feels you're off course in your life, that you're wasting your time, that your life doesn't even matter anymore because there's no purpose to it. You've been questioning everything about your identity and your purpose and who you are as a person. You've been questioning things God designed about you and made you to be that way. And you've been questioning it. And God, God just nudged me. If I have one thing, it's my sensitivity to his voice. He just nudged me and he said, I want you to tell him I'm guiding them. I have, the way, I have the way I was raised. I have the style, how I learned preaching and how I learned ministry. It's just part of my culture and who I am. And some of you had to get over that. But if that bothered you, or if the screaming bothered you, or if the sweating bothered you, just cut through all that and just hear this one thing. And I'll say it as soft and as sweet as I can. God ordered your steps to be here. He made sure to sow within the tapestry of your life this appointment to be in that seat this morning and for me to be here this morning and for me to tell you that he said he's still guiding you. So don't fear. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on the people around you. Add to your faith goodness. To goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Keep building on the foundation, the rock of Jesus Christ. And whatever it is you're going through, you will get through it. If God guided you into it, he will be the one that guides you out of it. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. If you brought me into it, God, you're going to bring me out of it. Lift up your hands all over this house. Father, we praise you and worship you. We adore you and thank you, for you are the God that guides. We receive your salvation. We declare Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. We declare there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And Lord, with your salvation, we also receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the guidance of God. We receive the instruction of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Listen, Isaiah, one more word for you. I know I got to get you out. Isaiah, I'm sorry I went so long. Isaiah 58. 
verse 7, God was talking about the sacrifices that enable his house to be a ministry to people, that enable the church to help people. And God said, the purpose of that, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? He said, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then verse 11, this is your word. Look at it on the screen. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. Look at that on the screen and read it with me. The Lord will guide you always. Now make it personal. The Lord will guide me always. In fact, just something I want you to say to your person, whatever your name is, I want you to do it like this. I'm going to say my name because it's me. The Lord will guide Jason always. Whatever your name is, whatever your name is, say it. The Lord will guide always. And when those thoughts of negativity and when those thoughts of fear, when that negative self-talk stirs up, I want you to make a practice out of quoting this verse. The Lord will guide, and whatever your name is, the Lord will guide Jason always. When the accuser comes, when Satan comes, when voices of condemnation come, the Lord will guide me always. If you make that a part of your life, that abundance of grace and peace, that strength that comes from salvation will also begin to flow in the area of the direction of your life and the purpose of your life. And you can be just as confident in your purpose as you are in your salvation. Stand to your feet. Father, thank you. We worship you. We bless you. Thank you for being our God and our guide. 